I'm going to invite you to turn with me this morning. I'm not in a series yet. It will be in a couple of weeks, but um, some independent thoughts, if you will, that God has laid on my heart. And I'm going to invite you to stand with me. I want to summon your soul and invite your intellect to share in this sumptuous meal that God has prepared for our minds, our bodies, and our souls. Isaiah chapter 53. Isaiah chapter 53, verses 2 and 3. Today I'm reading from the ESV, the English Standard Version. For he, meaning Jesus, grew up before him, God, like a young plant, And like a root out of dry ground. He, meaning Jesus, had no form or majesty that we should look at him. And no beauty that we should desire him. As a matter of fact, Isaiah writes some 750 years before Jesus was ever born and says he was despised and rejected by men. Man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hid their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. For there were no form or majesty that we should look at him, no beauty that we should desire him. If I could tag this text with a title that no doubt you will remember all week long. I would entitle it Sexy, Smart, Strong, Successful, Saved. You may be seated. Tap your neighbor said it ain't what you think. There are many great cities in our country that have attained great notoriety for many different reasons. Some of these cities, they are so well known, they have established such a reputation that you don't even have to name the formal name of the city when you're in conversation with others. You know them by their nicknames. The Big Apple. The city that never sleeps. I don't even have to tell you what city that is. Wall Street, Skyscrapers, Harlem, Manhattan, Brooklyn, New York, the Big Apple. And then there's not only the Big Apple, but there's the Big Easy. Nolens. If you've ever been there, the first time you go, you get on a plane and says, we're going to New Orleans. But when you come back, we, you say, we've been to Nolens. That's what that Creole food would do to you. 
either that or the chicken foot. I'm not sure which one it is. The Big Easy. Then there's Sin City. There's a saying that says, whatever happens in Sin City. Oh, y'all been there. Stays and you don't have to mention the name. The City of Angels. It's not where the dance team is from. One of my favorite cities, Los Angeles. You know them. Their notoriety goes before us because of their established reputation. There is the Windy City. Chi-town down. Y'all don't know nothing about that. There are some cities that are known by the acronym or the abbreviation, the ATL, Hotlanta. Y'all know where I'm talking about. And then there is, just north of us on I-95, the Chocolate City. <laughs> D.C., the go-go city. There's Mile High City. Black folk don't know too much about that. That's Denver. Then my favorite city of all, the Motor City. Motown down, baby. What up, though? I gave y'all the code, so if you really want to know, Mildred, no, if you want to know somebody from Detroit, when when they get you from the D, yeah, I'm from the D. Where you from? Oh yeah. And if they don't say what up though, they ain't from the D. They're probably like Calvin from the suburbs. <laughs> Everybody want to be a part of the D when it's cool. People saying good things. Then there are some people of great notoriety. They are well known even to the point where you don't have to mention their name. The king of pop, the queen of soul, the goat, Michael Jordan, in sports, the black mamba, Kobe Bryant, the Greek freak. Y'all know him. Y'all still can't pronounce his name. It's just like, yeah, that's him. Wilt the stilt. Y'all, y'all, some of y'all, let me say, some of y'all, we were out in L.A., me and two oldest daughters, a few years ago, and um, so we go to the Lakers game, and we're walking up the sidewalk, it happened to be windy that night, in front of Staples Center, and Staples Center, and we're going to the, um, our entrance, and we see these two people in the distance walking up, we got our heads down, it's windy, the wind blowing our face, one of my daughters says, man, look at that tall dude right there. I wonder, did he used to play basketball? This old guy. And I looked up, and he was right on me. And it was Bill Russell. I said, that's Bill Russell. They said, did, did he play basketball? I said, are you kidding me? Go home. In baseball, we know the babe. 
In football, we know prime time. <laughs> or the bus, one of my favorite players. They have all established great reputation, notoriety because of their accomplishments, because of their talents, and they have been appraised by the public around them and considered great. As a society, common folk, us's, we all long for notoriety, whether it's in the form of simplicity or whether it is worldwide and known to all. Most of us seek the appraisal of others. And so therefore we desire to be sexy, smart, strong, and successful. But the truth is, none of these attributes and characteristics really have deep, true, and lasting satisfaction. We start talking about accomplishments and success. It was Alexander the Great, he was never satisfied, even when he had completely subdued the nations. He wept constantly and was overwhelmed and depressed simply because there were no more worlds to conquer. He died at an early age in debauchery. Hannibal, who filled three bushels with gold rings taken from knights that he had killed, that he had slaughtered with his own sword. He committed suicide by swallowing poison. Very few not only attended his funeral and mourned, but very few even knew that he was dead. Julius Caesar, staining his garments in the blood of one million of his foes, had conquered 800 cities, only, be, only to be stabbed to death by, death by some of his best friends in one of the scenes of his greatest triumph. Napoleon, the feared conqueror, after being the curse of Europe, he spent his last days in banishment. Jack Higgins, the renowned author of the book entitled The Eagle Has Landed, has said that if he only had known as a small boy this, and I quote, when you get to the top, there's nothing there. And yet we still strive to be sexy, smart, successful, and strong. Yet in his daily striving in these four qualities or characters, most people feel like if I could only attain and maintain these qualities, then I will be saved. And i.e., I would be admired by others. I will be somebody special. I'll be significant and I will have security. That's really what salvation gives us. If I could just be sexy. Can I walk through these just for a moment? Miriam Webster defines sexy in this manner. Generally attractive and appealing. Sexually attractive or exciting. <laughs> there ain't a person in this room that don't want to be sexy sometimes. If not most of the time. Understand me clearly. I, when After you hear this sermon, I ain't say go home and let yourself go. 
<laughs> Some of y'all are waiting for an excuse just to wear sweatpants and a raggedy t-shirt all day and all week long. But the reality is we spend billions of dollars annually in the beauty industry, cosmetics, hair, nails, clothing, shoes, fitness, cosmetic surgery and alterations. People are going to Home Depot and Lowe's to get butt injections. People don't know that's all you got to do is be black. <laughs> and it's a gift of God. Let me move on, bro. About to mess up. But the question is why? Why do we go to these extremes? Why do you want to be attractive? Appealing to others. Why do you go to such great lengths? Sexy, beautiful. And the reality is this, when we go to the word of God, the writer of Proverbs said it this way in Proverbs 31 and 30. King Solomon knew what he was talking about. This is what he says. Charm is deceitful. (laughs) The, The physical appearance is deceitful. My Detroit translation of that is this. You ain't as fine as you think you are. Charm will fool you. Not only that, but he says beauty is passing. He says not only is it deceitful, you ain't as good looking as you think you are. But then he says, whatever you look like now, give it 10 years. Add 20. Because when you get 50, 60, you ain't going to look like you did when you were 18 and 20. Now, you, I know you can patch that barn up and put more paint on it. or Even the brothers, we're wearing girdles now and everything else and... Try, we don't call them girdles. What do we call? I don't know. Um, huh? Me and West Banks. All right. Okay. <laughs> I love to try, but it's something about breathing I enjoy. <laughs> you put one of them on, you got the exhale down, but it's the inhale I'm concerned about. <laughs> It's deceitful and it's it's passing. You got to have something much deeper than that. Then we love our smarts. We not only want to look good, but nowadays we want to appear to be smart. Ain't nothing wrong with that in itself. But I know a ton of folk, they just want to be formally educated so that they can impress everybody else. There's a time to use big words. I use a few big words at the beginning of my sermon. And then midway through, I start to talk to us's. <laughs> I use, I'm going to clue you in. I use a few big words. I know them. I use a few big words just to let y'all know. I'm from the hood. But I ain't the only place I've been. 
But there are folk that judge other folk based on their formal education. It's not only what degrees you have, but what schools did you attend? What was your major? And then that leads to what career field are you in, which people start adding everything up to determine your worth by how much money you're probably making. So people not only want to be sexy so that they can gain the attention and the approval of others, but they want to be smart for that same reason. Now don't go home and be dumb. Don't drop out of school. And people want to be strong. And I'm not, I'm not talking about muscular strength, that too. We like to flash our muscles. Now even women want to, they want to flash their biceps. Ah! Ain't nothing sexy about your muscles being bigger than their brothers that you flashing in front of. It's intimidating. Roll your sleeve back down. I'm talking about strength in terms of tenacity or being strong will to have grit and brawl to be tough because you got to be tough in the world that we live in today which is the opposite of the fruit of the spirit when we talk about humility and gentleness and being loving and, and kindness and it seems today that even women take pride in being the B word it's like you're working towards that you want folk to know that yes I am Ain't nothing attractive about that. Sexy. You, you want to be smart and want to be strong, but why? Because oftentimes those are the ingredients that lead to success. But it's success based on the world's terminology of success. Success normally, i.e., equates to having more money, bank, what cars we drive, what houses or communities we live in and our accomplishments and our achievements in life. In other words, we've established a name for ourselves. Notoriety. The appeal and appraisal of others. But you ain't never going to have the bank that King Solomon had. And brothers, let me tell you, you ain't never going to have the women that he had. He had 700 plus that's recorded in the scripture. We ain't going to never have the estates that he had. And the brother came to this conclusion. Vanity of vanity, all is vanity. No matter how much you accomplish, no matter what you do in this life, no matter what your appearance might look like, how strong you might be, no matter how successful you might be, life under the sun is vain. It's so vain, he says, it's like a grasping of the wind. It's better translates in Hebrew, it's like a grasping of vapor. Once you think you got your hands on it, it slips right through your fingers. Matter of fact, he even goes on and says that the eye is not satisfied with seething, seeing, nor the ear filled with hearing. In other words, the more sexy we try to be, the more intelligent we try to be the more strength we try to gain and the more successful we try to be because the ear and the eyes never satisfied this all it does is keep you longing for more 
That's why people who strive to be skinny for public appeal oftentimes develop eating disorders. They never see themselves small. They always see them fat, themselves fat. And they starve themselves to death or people that want to have the physical physique muscle and the brawn. They never think they're big enough, so therefore they use alternative and synthetic methods of gaining more muscle mass until they wind up killing themselves. Because Solomon says, it always leaves us craving for more. And then the general attitude with all of these qualities and these attributes that which become goals in life is that none of them again will bring deep long lasting satisfaction but we have come to a place even in the church today that we've adopted these same goals as a means and qualification of our salvation in other words if the world likes me then God has to like me If I'm appealing to the world, if I'm strong in the world's eyesight, if I'm smart and intelligent in the world's eyesight, and if I'm successful in the world's eyesight, then certainly God would want to use me. (laughs) I got sad news for you, but it's a turnaround for you. No, God's qualifications, he still uses the weak and the foolish. (laughs) Really, most people cherish these qualities and these standards in life. Again, because they're seeking something. They're seeking something deep. They're seeking something to fulfill this void that they have in their lives. I started at this place, but let me go ahead and make it formal so you can make a note of it. The first thing that they're seeking is, and it's surface, but it's true, is they're seeking to gain the approval of others. You want other folk to think that you look good. Like it's a competition. You want everybody else to think that you're strong, that you got grit, that you've got brawn, that you're not a weakling. You can't be taken advantage of. You want everybody else to think uh, that you're smart, that you're intellectual, and you got. Matter of fact, you don't even let your friends finish their sentence before you finish the sentences for them because you feel like you're smarter than they are. You want everybody to deem you as successful. Why do we buy the cars that we buy and spend the money that we spend on? Because part of that is the value of the function of the automobile itself as transportation to get us from point A to point B. And the other part of that is image. And how much is that image worth? And I don't mean in dollar amount. But now you ain't got no time for nothing else because you got to work to establish and maintain your image in front of everybody else. We're caught up in the approval of others. It'll make me look good. Make me admired by those around me. Nobody wants to go back to the 20 year class reunion. And don't look successful, sexy, smart, and strong. We don't want to show up at the family reunion. And now we don't even want to show up in church. Wearing the clothes that we wore three Sundays ago. 
or driving a car that smokes and coughs when we pull up on the lot because we've been told in the church that the measurement of your faith is based on what you've attained in this lifetime and the appraisal of people and what they think about you. So it makes you look good, gives you notoriety. But there's several problems with gaining the appraisal of others. Number one, the rules and the standards, they keep changing. You can't keep up with it. One day this is in style, one day this is in, there's fads. And not only that, again, we're constantly changing. The world is constantly changing. And people either going to like you or they're going to dislike you. It ain't got nothing to do with what is on the outside is what's on the inside. You'll never be able to meet the standards of other people because, as my mama would say, other people are just fickle. Here's the truth of the matter. We're lost. We're all lost. We're all having an identity crisis. Ever since the fall of Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden, Genesis chapter 3, when they transgressed against God, we inherit that lostness, that lost identity created in the image and likeness of God, but we've lost that identity in God. And so therefore we become self-sufficient, self-centered. And now we're turning to self or others for appraisal and approval. So in seeking our own identity, we, 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 we turn to other people and, and we're really asking other people, tell me who I am. Because I have no clue. Describe me. Describe me. Because in describing me, you're then defining me. There's a story of a rabbit and snake that met in the forest. The rabbit said to the snake, man, we have no idea what we look like. I don't know what I look like, and you don't know within yourself how you look. So let's do this. Let's look at each other and just describe each other. So the snake looked at the rabbit and says, well, you're furry, you got long ears, pink nose, and a fluffy white tail. And the rabbit said, I look good. I'm a rabbit. I'm a rabbit. I'm a rabbit. Snake said, what about me? The rabbit looked at the snake and said, well, you got a, a forked tongue. You got shifty eyes and diamonds all over you. The snake said, oh, no, I'm a televangelist. That's, that's a bad joke. That's a bad. I won't use that one for the 10 o'clock. <laughs> oh, you're going you're gonna to smile now, right? I got one for you at the end of the sermon. <laughs> Tap your neighbor and say, whose approval do you desire? You see, seeking approval outside of ourselves is not what God disapproves of in itself. The question is, who are we seeking that approval from and why? The, the ultimate source of approval 
is that we should be asking God, the one who created us, the one who sustained us, the one that we're creating in his image, in his likeness, ask Yahweh himself, who am I and what do you think of me? What is my appraisal, my estimation of who I am and my worth, my value in your sight, not everybody else's sight? Prophet Jeremiah penned these words in Jeremiah chapter 2 and verse 13. Ultimately, it's God that's speaking and God simply says, my people Israel, they have committed two evils, but it applies to us as well. And listen to the principle in each of these. The first evil is they have forsaken me, the fountain of living water. They turned their back on me and said, we don't need you, although I am, God says, the fountain of living water. Not only did they turn their back on me and said, I don't need you, that living water. But when they turned their back on me, for my appraisal, my approval, for me to give them worth, purpose, and life, then what they did is committed the second evil, which he says, you have hewn uh, for yourself cisterns, and they're not just cisterns, vessels to contain water, but broken cisterns that can not hold water. You've created an entire system of what it means to be beautiful, what it means to be strong, what it means to be smart, and what it means to be successful, and now you think that is what's going to save you. It's one thing to turn our backs on him. Say, I don't need you as a definition of what true life is and who I really am then you're going to go out and create your own person what you think brings true life God says that's got holes all in it and every step you take up the ladder and every step you take forward you ain't dripping with failure but you got a serious leak Here's our common solution. Here's our common solution to fix whatever damaged image we have of ourselves, to make ourselves look good, feel strong and successful in the eyes of others that we might gain their approval, approval and seek our, establish our notoriety. This is what we say. You just got to be true to yourself. I hear that so much in the church. You just got to be true to yourself, which means now what we're saying is don't look at other people and try to be like other people. You just got to be true to yourself. Not, not, not true to being true to yourself. It sounds instinctive and intuitive, especially in our feel good society and in our individualized society and in our self seeking culture. We're bombarded with the message every day throughout the day in some shape, form, or fashion. Just be yourself. Be true to yourself. Look within yourself. But it actually leads to a catastrophic disaster because it's catastrophic philosophy. If you don't believe me, I hope you believe Jesus. But Jesus, the essence of truth has a fundamental argument in opposition to this ideology that you just got to 
be true to yourself. Matthew 15, 19, he said it this way and says, let's first of all identify the problem about ourselves, its root and its origin. For out of the heart, for out of human heart, human will, human desire, out of the core of the being of the person, this is what he says, proceeds evil thoughts, murders, adultery, fornication, theft, false witness, and blasphemy. Here's what Jesus is really saying. You can't turn to yourself be true to yourself to be your true self and to better yourself because yourself is the problem. You don't heal cancer with cancer. You don't make a dead man rise by putting another dead man and stacking another, another dead man on top of him. We are our problem. But yet the message of the world, it sounds so normative. Just be true to yourself. Don't worry about nobody else, what they say. You just got to be true to you. And I'm going to be true to me. And that is false belief. Even in the Old Testament, God speaks again through the prophet Jeremiah. Jeremiah 17, 9 said, the heart is deceitful above all things, which means it, the heart is the most deceitful thing in this world. And it is desperately wicked. And who can know it? The Christian Standard Bible translation, which is a great translation, Christian Standard Bible, it says it this way. The heart is more deceitful than anything and incurable. Who can understand it? Which means we cannot in ourselves, within ourselves, by ourselves, cure ourselves. Cardiologists don't do open heart surgery on themselves. So the greatest issue and problem about me ain't you. It ain't the President of the United States. The greatest problem I have ain't with folks in the church or out the church. The greatest problem I have ain't with my wife or with my kids. The greatest problem I have is with the skin I'm in. It's Kelvin. And I can't fix Kelvin. I don't care how sexy I try to be. (laughs) How smart I try to appear and sound. In the crucible, how strong I try to come across. (laughs) Or successful. These 28 years of ministry, it might appear, but the reality is, none of those things will save me. Tap your neighbor and say, neither will they save you. Jesus gives the solution. Matthew chapter 16, verse 24, sounds simple. It really is. Matthew 16, 24. Matter of fact, it sounds so simple it makes us think, well, there's got to be something else to it. 
Matthew 16, 24, Jesus said to his disciples, if anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. What Jesus really is saying is, and he's teaching is, in order to become the best you, you got to deny you and become like me. How do you become like me? You follow in my footsteps. You, you, you emulate who I am. You can't do it in your own strength. But you've got to deny yourself, crucify yourself. You've got to say no to you. You say, I don't want to say no to me no to me, because I'll lose. You ain't going to lose your personality. But you can't lose that faulty character, that bad attitude. We can lose that value system that is not the value system of God and doesn't treasure the king nor his kingdom. But we got to turn our lives over to the one who has created us and purposed us so that we can look like Christ. In other words, in order to become the best you you can possibly be is to say no to you and say yes to him. It's not express yourself. Y'all don't know that song. <laughs> Matter of fact, it's all right when you say express, you say express yourself. It ain't express yourself. I'm just being me. I got news for you. We don't like you. You need to be like, and I need to be like Christ. Stop using this is just the way I am as an excuse for sin. I've always been this way, but you don't have to be. You don't know what I was had to go through growing up. You're grown. Get over it and get beyond it. He said, what happened to the original text? Here it is. Isaiah 53, verses 2 through 3. For he grew up, Jesus, before him, God, like a young plant, like a root out of dry ground. That that don't look too appealing. He had no form of majesty that we should look at him, no beauty that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief, as one from whom men hid their faces. There's nothing charismatic about him, nothing physically attractive about him. There was no physical strength that he displayed that would make people want to follow him. He was despised, and we esteemed him not. We looked at him as nobody, born in a place and raised in a place filled with nobodies. But after reading this passage several times, I had to ask the question, God, then why did you send your only begotten son into the world, unattractive in the physical state, without physical strength and form, and without a, 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 a deemed uh, attainable, gradable means of success? He didn't have a house. He didn't have his own transportation. And I can sense God saying, because I want the rest of the world to know, you don't need any of those things to gain my approval. If I find my deepest satisfaction and I've got my greatest 
value in my only begotten son who let me say it this way was ugly in the world's eyesight who died in a state of execution as a criminal and if I accept him as my own then certainly I will accept them as my own If he gained the greatest notoriety, listen carefully, of all the people in the world, not only throughout antiquity, but even to this day, the greatest name that you will ever name of anyone today is Jesus Christ. He's got the greatest, not only notoriety, but the greatest influence and the greatest impact on the world today. Before he was ever born and after his death. But he never was sexy. He never had formal education to prove himself smart. He never was considered strong, taken advantage of. Even on the cross, they said, you saved everybody else. Be strong enough to save yourself. And he never had a resume of earthly success. But he saved the world. And didn't possess any of those things that we cherish so deeply. So how do we kill this desire for human approval and appraisal? How do we kill this desire? Again, ain't nothing wrong with dressing up. Ain't nothing wrong with having some bank. Be all you can be. Trade school. Develop a skill, halls of academia, just be be all you can be that Christ has designed you to be. But you gotta ask why? How do I kill this desire to be made much of? <laughs> Feel this need for the approval and acceptance of others. Let me say this Jesus said first step is to deny yourself and to follow him. So deny yourself. <clears throat> we talk about denying ourselves, self-denial. Self-denial in itself does not kill this desire to be appraised by others. As a matter of fact, self-denial may even warn us or create a greater desire to be appraised by others. It's much deeper than that. See, the fundamental root problem is what we're fixed on and what we're fixated by. That, that's the fundamental and root problem. What are we fixed on and what are we fixated by? What, what is our focus? What is our aim? What is our goal in wanting to be sexy, smart, strong, and successful? When we shift the aim, it's not just denying ourselves, but shift the aim and, and shift the goal to make much of Christ, that's when things began to turn around. Because the reality is, church, we can make a God out of self-denial. I know a lot of people who just walk around and brag, talk about they don't do this, they don't do that. That's the pastor talking about watch Netflix, how you watch all that filth and all this. And it's, and I, that's why I don't have Facebook because ain't nothing but the devil on social media and these people doing this. And so I, I don't live this. They live like a nomad, like a hermit. 
People out buying houses and they out taking trips and they, people got to go to the mall. That's why I don't go to the mall. Just vain. Solomon said vanity is vanity. And that's all you are is a naked, self-righteous hypocrite. You made a God out of denial. So what do we got to do? We got to shift our affection. My goal and my aim is to make the most and make much out of him. When I make much out of him, he always includes me in him. Did y'all hear that? Because the reality is only Christ can satisfy our deepest thirst. John 7, 37, Jesus said it this way. If any man thirsts, if any man thirsts, somebody say thirst. If any man thirsts, let him come to me and drink. The first step is you got to be thirsty and recognize that you're thirsty and that you cannot satisfy that deep inner thirst. You'll always be longing. And then secondly, when you realize that you're thirsty and can't satisfy your own thirst, then he says, come to me. Come to me. Don't make cisterns for yourself and try to drink out of for your own self-sufficiency and satisfaction. Come to me. I am that living water. And if you drink of this water, you'll never thirst again. Matter of fact, in the Old Testament, prophet Isaiah again, he gives this, God ultimately gives this great invitation. In Isaiah 55 verses 1 through 3. And he says, oh, everyone who thirsts, everybody who's thirsty, come to the waters. Again, first you got to know that you're thirsty. Know why you're thirsty and that you cannot satisfy that thirst. Then he says, here's the invitation, come to the waters. Somebody say waters. And you who have no money, I'm so glad he included me in that. And you who have no money, come. Not only have your thirst quenched with water, but come buy and eat. Yes, come buy wine. Come and buy wine. And milk. Without money and without price, why do you, he asked this question, this is the key question. Why do you spend money for what is not bread? And your wages for what does not satisfy. It makes you happy, but it doesn't satisfy you. Why are you working all these hours? Stay in school that long. Strive that hard. Don't lost all your hair. About to have a heart attack and a stroke for something that doesn't satisfy. And for something that does not last, when you could come to me, <laughs> keep your money, throw it away. Now, what he's saying is, is twofold. Not only do you not have to have money, do you not have to be sexy, smart, strong, and successful. But listen to this. Even if you had it, you ain't got enough of it to buy. Notice he says... You who have money, but then he says, come and buy. It's paradoxical. If I'm going to buy, there's a purchase that needs to be made. 
There's an exchange need to be given. But yet you say I don't have money. Here's the reason why. Because in light of the value of what I am giving you, what is purchased, listen to this, you ain't never going to have enough. You ain't never going to look that good, be that smart, be that strong, or that successful. So just keep all of that at home. But that's why I broke this down. There's four things really in the text that he says that I want you to buy. Ultimately, this has been purchased through the blood of Jesus Christ on your behalf. Somebody had to pay for it. It's free to us, but it ain't free. He says water. Because if you're thirsty, nothing will satisfy you like water. Back in the day when I was working in the factory, and man, it'd be so hot in that factory, and I had a Ford Motor Company, and guys, man, especially in the summertime, on that assembly line, they ain't had no air conditioning, just fan blowing hot air, and they had a thermostat up there, um, one of the big round, almost like a clock. And the thermostat really, of course, don't cool you off. It just tells you you ain't got but two more degrees before you're going to die. It's just a warning to drink something, some water. And so guys, back in the day, they, they couldn't wait to get off work to go get beer. Now, I ain't never been a beer drinker. I, I got some other stuff I like, all right? But I ain't never been a beer drinker. And, and, and then when I did, beer, you're hot. It's 100 degrees. And let me switch because some of y'all are getting too sensitive. Kool-Aid and soda will never quench your thirst. Y'all hear what I'm saying? That's all it's going to do is make you thirstier. Am I right? That's why, guys, I can understand. I got, I, got, I got one bottle of water, and it's been 100 degrees for all of us. I can knock down that bottle of water, and I'm good. But they keep, one right after that. I said, boy, y'all still hot? You on your third beer, it ain't cooled down yet. Your thirst has not been satisfied yet. Listen, because there's a principle, because, listen, only that living water... Just because it's liquid doesn't mean that it's satisfied. Just because it's good to you doesn't mean that it's good for you. But he says water. I've got that water to quench your thirst. But not only the water, but notice what he says. But I've got wine. The water will quench your thirst. But I've got that wine because wine was designed to revive your spirit. Moving right along. Some folks are just so spiritual. I don't know what y'all going to do in the great supper in heaven. Amen. Because Jesus said, I'm not going to drink down here. This is what he told the disciples. I ain't going to have a drink with y'all down here. But when we get up there, I'm going to pour and we're going to all sip. All right. So, no, I'm not endorsing alcohol by no means. If that's your conviction, that's fine. Sometimes I make, you know, like a joke out of it. But. But the only thing I want to say, the spiritual principle is this, is that wine in the Bible is designed to revive the spirit, to bring a sense of joy. That's the reason why Jesus turned water into wine at the wedding reception in Cana of Galilee, the very first miracle recorded in scripture. But not only wine, I'm moving right along, but he says, but I'm going to give you milk. 
that's when it's that day after expiration. It ain't just milk no more. It's like, is it good or not? I don't know. And you pour it and it's a little thick in the glass. You say, anybody want some milk? <laughs> but milk, it nourishes the soul. It nourishes. Wine revives the spirit, but milk, it nourishes the soul. Water, it quits our soulless thirst. But then he says, why are you spending money on for bread that ain't going to satisfy you? Because the bread that he offers, listen, it is not only has substance, but sustenance for our strength. It gives us strength. Christ Jesus is all of that. He is that living water. He is that new wine. He is that milk, that sincere milk of the word of God. He is that bread of life that gives us strength and substance and sustenance for life. And the reality is, you nor I or anybody in this world could ever do that for ourselves. In Psalms 81, verse 10, I'm going to turn it into a question. The psalmist, ultimately God says, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt. And listen what he says. Open your mouth wide and I'll fill it. And the question I have for you today is, how wide is your mouth open to God? Because a lot of folk just want a dollar worth of Jesus. Just enough to get you from this place to that place. But you don't want to fill up on him. Filling up on him means that now he becomes Lord and master over your life. Now there's a surrender to him and all of our decisions are processed through him and through his word for his glory and for his majesty and not for us. Just as, as God told Moses to smite the, the rock in the wilderness, we're studying that on Thursday nights, on Thursday nights at, at 7 p.m. Just, just as he told him to smite the rock with a rod in the wilderness and water came out. It's really a picture of Jesus Christ because the Bible says for New Testament that God the Father, he was the one that Jesus was smitten by. And not only that, but when Jesus was on the cross, listen carefully, when they pierced him in his side, not only did blood come out of the side of Jesus, but the text says blood and water. Blood saves us from our sin, but the water is what quenches our thirst. Y'all ain't catching this. That living water that satisfies our deepest thirst and it gets to places where our sexiness and our smartness and our strength and our success will never be able to reach. One of the greatest problems, listen to me carefully, with cherishing and relying on and valuing and holding in the highest esteem our sexiness, our beauty, our appearance, and our intellect and our strength and our brawn and our success Listen to me carefully. You can't take any of that to heaven with you. You can't take any of that to heaven with you. It ain't going to matter. So why is it that we cherish it so much and hold on to so tightly and prize it so greatly, but you can't take it to heaven with you? What we really need to do is to thank God for his grace in the things that we cannot take to heaven with us, but we can attain down here. Y'all ain't hearing me. We need to pause and stop just thanking God for a new car and for a new house and for a new job and for a new boo and all this. And listen, we need to just thank God for the things that we cannot take with us. 
Thank God for salvation. Thank God for peace. Thank you for thank Him for righteousness in the Holy Ghost. Thank Him for hope. Thank Him for security. Thank Him for our joy. Thank Him for redemption. Thank Him for our deliverance. Thank Him for our adoption. Thank Him for our justification. Thank Him for our salvation. It's by the grace of God. Somebody say grace. Thank God for his grace. Not long ago, one of the deacons and I were in a restaurant eating some breakfast. Deacon Jarrell and I. And um, we had gone through all this laughter and conversing and fellowship and um, got done with the breakfast we both looked at our watches okay I gotta go I gotta go flagged the waitress down and said uh, I wanna go ahead and get the check she said that's already been taken care of before I walked out the restaurant cause I'm in Wake Forest and I know how Wake Forest PD is I said when you say that it's already taken care of exactly what does that mean Somebody is already paid for. I said, really? And we looked at each other. I said, well, let me go ahead and get the tip. She said, well, no, that's already been taken care of as well. Grace. But I got to admit that I was a little upset by it. And one of the reasons why I was upset is because I'm that guy, I like to take the bill. It ain't like I got it like that. But I have a hard time for other people doing things for me. Now, you might say that's a good quality. No, it ain't, because that's pride. And I'm struggling with it. I'm like, man, it don't make no sense. Somebody's going to pay the bill. So I asked the lady, I said, well, who, who was it? She said, I, I, I really don't know. They paid for it. At the cash register. At the cash register. Don't nobody know. Y'all really don't know. <laughs> but this is what I realized. The bill wasn't paid because I'm sexy. The bill wasn't paid because I'm smart. The bill wasn't paid because I'm strong or successful bill was paid by somebody else because of their grace extended to me. I just felt like I had to do something. You know, you feel like you just, you just like, I'm walking out the restaurant trying to feel good about this thing, about grace, and just feel like I gotta give something. I gotta, I gotta do something. If I just, if I knew who it was, at least I could just say thank you. And isn't it interesting how God has already paid for it on our behalf some 2,000 years ago? Solely by his grace, 
But every now and then we rise up in pride and say, I know I'm saved by grace, but is there ought to be something I should be able to do because I got too much pride just to let God do it by itself. So I'm going to brag about how I've been living right and how I got this and I got that and I work hard for this and I've done this and I used to be this kind of person, but I pulled myself up by my bootstrap or I repented of my sin. I start coming to church. I change my habit. I don't do these things anymore. God says, let grace be grace. I don't need your payback and I don't need your tip. I didn't know who it was. They went unnoticed. (laughs) In closing, Chicago Temple Church Chicago and Washington between Dearborn and Clark it's the tallest church in the world when you consider its cross its cross crosses founded upon 22 stories and the cross, the steeple itself is 585 feet in the air people walk by that cross, drive by it every single day and don't pay it any attention Largest church, greatest elevation of a cross anywhere. They're driving in their cars, bicycles, walking down the sidewalk, never paid any attention. Most folk don't even know that it's there and that it set world records. Until one day a few years ago, there was a worker on a scaffold on top of the cross, cleaning the cross. One of the ropes broke on the scaffold and he was dangling by the safety rope on the cross. Traffic stopped. Cars stopped. People stopped walking. People working in the adjacent buildings stopped working and looking out the windows and staring in awe. They paid no attention to an empty cross that had been there for years that had set records. But when there's a man on the cross dangling from the cross whose life is at stake on the cross he gave significance to the cross y'all don't hear what I'm saying 2,000 years ago on Golgotha's here, people walked by the empty cross until one day there was a man hanging on the cross that everybody had looked at and despised and now he gained the attention of the world not because of the cross but because of the man that sacrificed his life on the cross that's called grace that's called grace and the bible said and he did it and it wasn't because he was so sexy because he was so smart that's not what made the cross attractive because he was so strong because he was so successful but it's because he was self-sacrificing and in his sacrifice he saved us did y'all hear what I said the least of us Father God we give you thanks thank you for teaching us today oh Father that we'll never be good enough thank you Lord for reminding us oh God that We grow weary in trying 
to please everybody else, to gain attention and approval, to gain acceptance, to make the grade in the eyes of others. When ultimately, oh Father, we should be turning our heart toward you and to your son Jesus Christ for that approval, for that affirmation, Lord, that we might be valued and reach our full potential, be the best me, the best person that we can possibly be. God, I thank you today, oh Father, for the place that we start is knowing Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. Lord, let us come to the foot of the cross, the cross where Jesus gave his life. Let us come, oh Father, that we might be washed by his blood, that we might be made fresh and anew by the water, that living water that comes, oh Father, from an eternal fountain. If there's anyone here that may not know Christ as their Savior, I pray, oh Father, that surrender and invite Christ in their life up and realize they'll never be satisfied trying to meet the world's standards and trying to turn within self to better themselves. But the only way we're ever going to find true approval to realize we're no longer condemned is when we come to Jesus Christ because those who are in Christ, Lord, are no longer condemned, but they're sons and daughters of the Most High God. I pray that they would invite Christ in and realize that they're thirsty and come eat and drink without cost. God, I pray that we leave this place today making much of Jesus, making the most of Jesus in everything. And even when we're offended, help us to realize it's not about me, it's all about him. Help us live our lives to the fullest, the way you've designed in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Come on, let's magnify the Lord in this place. Our God is worthy. Amen. 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 God bless you. Thank you for your hearts and your attention this morning.